It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 71, The Anointing of David Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, because he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open with their mouths wide open. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Jacob had twelve sons from two wives, Rachel and Leah, and their servants. Rachel, the one he truly loved, only had two natural children, Joseph, who went to Egypt and became famous in the court of Pharaoh in the time of the global famine, and Benjamin, his last-born son, who Rachel died giving birth to. God chose the line of Jacob through the loved wife Rachel for the first king of Israel, Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. But the true, authentic, three times anointed king of Israel, David, came through the line of Jacob through Leah and the, from the tribe of Judah. For it was Judah who was willing to give his life during the time of Joseph in Egypt for another. Jacob, who previously cursed Judah for his immoral behavior, blessed him at the end of his life in Genesis 49 with this generational blessing. Genesis 49, 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Take note of the statement, a scepter will not depart from Israel. This will be so profound. Sounds a bit like a favorite magician's prophecy, Mr. Balaam. 
There will, be, there will come a star out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now that Saul has blown it, God is going to play his cards. Makes me think this was God's plan all along to have Samuel continual ruling until the time of David. But the people demanded a king, and not just a man of God, but a king like all the other nations, and that's what they got. A king to fight their battles. The man of the people, Saul, had failed. Now God had his man. Not from the tribe of Benjamin, but the tribe of Judah, whose redeemed side was their sacrificial nature with the heart of mercy, but with the disastrous, unredeemed side of strong, sinful, lustful desires. The prophecy was that God's man would be from the tribe of Judah, and one can assume that God had his man planned from the beginning to be the king of Israel. So in the small but incredibly important town of Bethlehem housed the tomb of Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob. In addition, this is the place and setting for the book of Ruth and Boaz, and there are many other cross-sections with Bethlehem during our story, some going as far back as the ten shekels in a shirt episode and further. It's a well-known town, but not exactly some huge city, but very, very important. In the town, there was a very influential man whose name was Jesse. He must have owned most of the land around town because he could date his ancestry back to the beginning of Israel and even in the time of Boaz. And Boaz owned substantial quantities of land during the time of Ruth. So he, his family line goes way back. And you might remember Jesse from our creative interpretation of the Samson episode and others. Jesse now is very old. He has eight sons, and at this point, Jesse would have had some incredible generational blessings and possibly more than many prophetic words in his journals. His first seven sons were treated as heirs, but David the eighth-born was not treated as a full heir by his father. There is much speculation why he did this, and the Bible doesn't give a lot of detail on why Jesse rejects his son. But there are some provocative ideas in the Mishnah, the Jewish oral traditions, but there's nothing really definitive. But what is obvious is that Jesse did not recognize his son's future abilities and qualities. For when Samuel shows up at his house, Jesse doesn't even invite his son David into the house, for he leaves him out in the fields. In the prophetic suffering Psalm 22, which we began the episode with, David prophesies of the death of Jesus on the cross, but in many ways it mirrors his own life. And most of it occurs during his son's rebellion, but could it be parts of this psalm cover his childhood as well? Could it be parts of Psalm 22 were written at this time just prior to the visitation by Samuel, despised and rejected like Joseph? He was mocked and insults were hurled at him, shaking their heads, forced to be out in the wild and the herds of his father and work like a hired hand. This was the childhood of David. Sounds pretty similar to the life of Jesus as well. We'll see David's life as a type and shadow of Jesus himself. Instead of Jesus, the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone. Few faithful friends early in life, few mentors, few faithful teachers, only David and the Lord God Almighty in the fields of Boaz learning about each other and working through their relationship. This was David's early life, a life of a lonely shepherd, and it was in this place that the true David was made. 
It is here, at a tender age, in the fields of Boaz, that David met the Lord and learned of him and worshipped him. It was in this time he learned how to play the lyre and the harp and worship God, out in the wilderness, all alone with the sheep. Moses learned the Trinity in three 40-year increments. The first 40 years was learning the character of the Father as royalty in the court of Pharaoh. The next 40 was the character of Jesus he learned in the wilderness to conclude his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. David, from the start, was learning the hardest character first, from Matthew 5, the character of Jesus, humility, meekness, hunger, mercy, purity, and peace. And though he will have a life-changing moment when Samuel visits his home around the age of 15, his Jesus character training will continue all through his life, and this rejection and mockery will continue until he becomes king and sometimes even after. Now that we've caught ourselves up on David, let's get to the action. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now most scholars agree the next part occurs in private. 1 Samuel 16, 6 When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. All right, it's just that profound that Samuel thought. Let me emphasize this again. This was only Samuel's thought. When he first saw Eliab, he said, actually, he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Isn't that remarkable? Samuel had a thought, and the Lord spoke to him. Here's another indicator of Samuel's insane giftings. Almost telepathic thoughts with God. Surely this is the future king, he thought. And God spoke to him. What a relationship with Samuel. Samuel, despite your bad or lack thereof haircut, you are amazing. Samuel thinks and God speaks. But God's answer is just spectacular. 
do not consider his appearance. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Oh, wow. This is the amazingness of God, the omniscience that he is all seeing, even into people's hearts. We will probably backtrack and hammer this verse home at some time when we cover the gift of discernment, whenever that occurs. For Jesus repeated this phrase so many times, he who has eyes to see and ears to hear, to see beyond actions and appearance, to know the heart of a person and the heart of every action. Imagine having this benefit in friendships and business deals and partnerships. Now, on a side note, there's something that just freaks me out about the omniscience of God. All-knowing, omniscient Jesus still chose Judas Iscariot after he stayed up all night praying, knowing the heart of the man and how he would betray him. It gives me chills to consider the fact that he knew and taught and shared bread with the man doomed to destruction. But he was still obedient and never gave in to despair or bitterness. But we should probably address that again whenever we get to this spiritual gift of discernment. Jesse left his eight son out of the meeting. And this tells us a lot about what Jesse thought of his son. Despised and rejected, Jesse left his very son out of the meeting with the gifted and honored prophet Samuel, which would have been the equivalent of the previous president of the United States dropping by your house for a visit. Seriously, Jesse left his son out of the meeting. Or to go further, he most likely purposely excluded his son from this visitation by one of their national leaders. 1 Samuel 16:12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. David was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went back to Ramah. So David has been anointed, and Josephus adds something pretty interesting to the scene. Here's, here's his account. After which he took oil in the presence of David, and anointed him, and whispered in his ear, and acquainted him that God chose him to be their king, and exhorted him to be righteous and obedient to his commands, for that by this means his kingdom would continue for a long time, and that his house should be of great splendor, and celebrated in the world, that he should overthrow the Philistines, and that against what nation soever he should take up war, he should be the conqueror and survive the fight, and that while he lived, he should enjoy a glorious name and leave such a name to his prosperity also. Interesting how Josephus adds how Samuel whispers this to David, almost discerning the rejection of his father, and knowing the way that they have been treating him. So God anoints the eighth son of Jesse to be the next king. I remember when I went to Catholic high school many, many years ago, one of the fathers taught the significance of biblical numbers. And I didn't capture it fully at the time, but the significance of numbers in the Bible is incredible. We cover this a bit in the Noah episode, but let me compound on the number eight. And let the Bible speak for itself. And oh, by the way, this only speaks to the supremacy of God that he would be so consistent all through his word by the use of numbers. 
Here's a run through the number eight from the book Biblical Mathematics, written by Baptist pastor Ed Velo. The number eight always means new beginning, or a new order of things. As the series is complete in seven, eight signifies a new beginning, and thus stands for the new in contrast to the old. Observe the eighth day, which is really the first day of the new week, or the eighth note of the musical scale, which is the same as the, as the first. Eight is the number of new birth or new creation. There are eight persons carried over from beyond the, the flood in the ark. A male child was circumcised on the eighth day. David was the eighth son of Jesse. The Feast of Tabernacles lasts for seven days, but the eighth day is a holy convocation. In our Lord's conversation with Nicodemus about the new birth, the word born occurs eight times in John 3. In his conversation with the Samaritan woman about the living water, the word water occurs eight times. The eighth time Noah's name occurs, it is said, and Noah walked with God from Genesis 6-9. This was a new beginning to him. How wonderful is the Lord and his word. This number is mentioned 80 times in the Bible. So that's just kind of a taste of some biblical mathematics or the use of numbers in the Bible. And it's just fascinating how, how Jesse's eighth son was David. That can freak you out if you see all the uses and commonality of numbers in the Bible. In summary, God, by choosing the eighth son of Jesse, he was making a fresh beginning. It was a new beginning for Israel. The reign of King David would be a new beginning for Israel. All right, so let's move on to the anointing that David received. David received a horn of oil. Saul only got a flask. We define the anointing with the Saul episode, but David will go on to be anointed three total times. The first was this scene, the second when he was anointed king of Judah, and the third the anointing when he was crowned king of all of Israel. One could divide David's life into three segments, with each anointing, each time needing a different anointing to fulfill each assignment God has for him. Scholars debate how many times Jesus was anointed, but I like to lean on him receiving three anointings just like David, since they are types and shadows of each other. In the case of David's anointing, I see this anointing as empowerment until the time of him becoming king. Because in so many ways, the next 15 years will be a wild roller coaster for David. And he will need all the help he can get physically and emotionally and spiritually. And it can really freak you out if you think about the fact that he was anointed king, but he won't become king for 15 years. All right, now I want to cover one of my favorite stories from history of a king being anointed. Let's start with a Shakespeare quote. Uneasy is the head that wears the crown. Henry IV of England, who was anointed king in 1399 after usurping power and taking control of the throne of England in a coup, he went on to kill the previous king. And when he was anointed with oil as king, according to an English chronicle, a special oil was used supposedly supernaturally received by Thomas Becket from the Virgin Mary. And according to the chronicle, the anointing oil caused him to be so affected, infected with lice that his hair fell out and for several months he had to keep his head covered. I mean, isn't that crazy? An anointing that was supposed to empower literally caused him to lose his hair. Henry, who deposed the previous king, 
would rule England for 14 years. Fascinating how a king who deposed another received an anointing that caused harm instead of increase. And learning of his coup, regicide, and this false anointing, one could jump to the conclusion that he was a falsely anointed king chosen by the people and not of heaven. Saul, who was the choice of the people, was a stark opposite to David. And Jesus, who would be consecrated and anointed and chosen by heaven for their purposes on the earth. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's talk about the season of rejection David experienced in the early years. Regardless of the reason, David was rejected and despised just like Jesus in his early years. Each of them endured a significant long period of isolation and rejection. In the case of David, it was clearly a rejection by his father and brothers, and most likely his neighbors as well. But let's talk about the concept of a season of rejection. But first we have to address the spirit of rejection, which is from the devil. The spirit of rejection attempts to convince people that they are not who God made them to be, and they are rejected by God. It comes in subtle lies like, you're not special, you're not unique, you're not a child of God, you're a loser, you're a nobody. When these lies are believed, a person in resigning himself to not being a chosen child of God, whose identity and purpose and characteristic are unique, and that they are not worthy of God's affection and adoration. The result is a person who does all they can do to find themselves not in God or His creation, but to find value for themselves with something else. Sin, idolatry, whatever feels good. And when these lies are believed, it's harder for them to walk into the fullness that God has for them and the identity God created for them. But a season of rejection is very common on biblical characters in the Bible. This is the season where teachers, mentors, even family members disappear as influential and a character must walk into his calling all alone and learn his identity with God alone. Obviously, this is time when a person must not agree with the spirit of rejection, but find their identity in God alone. It is what some call the wilderness years, where character and relationship with God is tested, and worth can only be found in God alone. This is where our famous heroes learn the character of Jesus, humility, meekness, hunger, mercy, peace. I ask you, the listeners, are you in a wilderness season, not caused by sin, but set up by God alone to move and mold you into the character and vessel that can handle blessings and royalty in the season ahead? It is these wilderness years which made David the man he was meant to be. It was the honor of God that he learned that kept him from killing Saul when he gets the chance. It was the single-mindedness and faith in God that moved him to move the ark and build his tabernacle and build a temple. It was the faith in God as all-powerful that he learned when fighting a bear and a lion that enabled him to take on Goliath. I ask you, what have you learned when you wondered, where is God and what is he doing in my life? The answer is this. He is preparing you for something greater. 
Before we end this episode of Message to Kings, I'd like to reach out to the large listening audience in the English-speaking African country of Ghana. If you're listening from Ghana in Africa, whether you're a pastor, teacher, student, lover of history, or just curious individual about biblical history, I'd like to message you or email you and get to know you. Please send me an email at messagetokings at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as David is attacked by a lion and a bear, and he finds himself in the court of Saul. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com.